Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, as I look at uh, our plate today, it is pretty full as far as what we're covering. Certainly is, Jimmy. We look at countries that we know are going to be involved in God's end time scenario, and we look at these countries. These political leaders are making decisions. They made decisions in the past, and they're making decisions today that are going to bring about God's plan into place. I think as we look at it, we see how one country makes a decision, and that affects other countries. And really, it all pertains to Bible prophecy. Well, we've got a full plate. As I said, let's get started with our first, Ken Timmerman. Ken Timmerman joins us. He's our expert on geopolitical affairs. He's an author. His latest book is called And the Rest is History. Uh, you can find out more about him and about uh, what he puts out by going to Ken timmerman.com. Ken, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, Rick, it's a pleasure to be with you as always. Well, Ken, our first story, and it's probably the biggest story in the news and that kind of snuck up on us. I can't wait to get your opinion on it. And I don't really know whether to be concerned or not, but it's this Chinese balloon that is floating over the United States. Tell us what we need to know. Well, yes, we should be concerned. It is uh, being designated by the Chinese as a weather balloon, but uh, everyone at the Pentagon, and there are many people who've made public statements about this, is calling it a spy balloon. Uh, it's clearly there to uh, spy on U.S. ballistic missile sites. And just on Friday, it was uh, heading for the Maelstrom Air Force Base in Great Falls, Montana, where there are 150 Minuteman ballistic missiles in silos underground. So uh, this is kind of one of many Chinese efforts to spy on our ballistic missile bases. They're also buying land. There's a deal that uh, the U.S. government could not interdict, so they said, to buy farmland just 12 miles away from another missile base in North Dakota. Uh, they wanted to buy a corn processing facility there, and that may yet go through. Congress is trying to interdict that. But, Rick, look, the Chinese are becoming increasingly open, blatant in their spying, uh, whether it's spying on our nuclear laboratories, whether it's uh, trying to get into the FBI, whether it is going over our uh, missile bases. This particular missile base, it's the 341st Missile Wing Division. Their motto, Rick, is we are wing one. And what they mean by that is if war actually happens, they will be the first whose missiles will fly. Uh, it was named after a World War II POW, Colonel Anar Axel Malmstrom. Yes, actually an American. He was a P-47 Thunderbolt pilot shot down in 1944. This base is one of our major strategic assets. And to see this balloon, you know, heading towards it and the U.S. Uh, Army, the U.S. Air Force, the Pentagon refusing to shoot it down is absolutely extraordinary. They're saying that they're worried about uh, damage to civilians on the ground. This is Montana, folks. There are only a couple hundred thousand people in that enormous, enormous state. So I don't really understand why the Air Force has refused to shoot it down. In your opinion, is this an actual intelligence gathering uh, expedition by China, or are they just trying to send some kind of message? Uh, look, if this is not an actual intelligence gathering operation. The Chinese are incompetent, and I don't think that they are. 
and they're also obviously sending a message, but they, is it more than a message, they're really trying to test us. They're trying to test our reaction. And so far, our reaction has been very weak. We should have shot this down long ago, uh, and we're allowing it to continue over a strategic U.S. nuclear missile base. Well, very interesting developments in this story. We'll keep an eye on it, something that we need to worry about, and hopefully our leadership handles it correctly. Well, we'll move on, and we're going to talk a little bit about Russia and China right now, but I want to talk to them as they relate to NATO. And uh, the NATO chief is saying that he wants more friends because he's worried about the alliance that is developing between Russia and China. Well, guess what? It is that uh, Ezekiel 38 alliance between Russia and China and others. And it's getting the attention of uh, Jen Stoltenberg, the NATO secretary general. And just this week, he met with the Japanese. He, he told an audience in a university in Tokyo that uh, NATO has to get closer to Japan. And this comes, Rick, as Japan over the past couple of years, we haven't talked about Japan as much perhaps as we should have, but Japan has been rearming itself in a massive, major way. They've been expanding their Navy kind of picking up in a way from where the U.S. has been deflating our naval resources. The Japanese now have a blue water navy, including the ability to launch aircraft from ships. Uh, this is extraordinary. Uh, they see themselves as picking up the slack, filling the vacuum that the U.S. has left by our decreasing presence around the world, but specifically in the Pacific. That famous pivot that Obama talked about, that pivot to the Pacific has not really happened. What has happened is that the Japanese have expanded their military and they are doing the work that we once did. Well, my final line of questions, Ken, and a few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we need to kind of examine a little bit more what was uh, President Biden's significant achievement. Well, I wouldn't call it a significant achievement. His significant decision uh, was the Afghanistan withdrawal, and that's what defined uh, kind of the first part of his presidency. And now with this new Republican Congress coming into power, uh, they're going to open up some investigations into this withdrawal. And it's kind of coming back into light. So if you could just walk our listeners through how important, how significant was that event? And how is it shaping uh, the geopolitics as we go forward right now? Well, Rick, you and I discussed this as it was happening. It was a momentous strategic failure. It is the kind of thing that uh, marks the military as well as our, uh, the impression that we give to friends, allies, and enemies around the world for many years to come. Pulling out with our tail between our legs, 13 U.S. servicemen uh, and women killed uh, unnecessarily. So Tom Tillis, who's a Republican senator from North Carolina, and Mike McCall, who is now the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, they would like to establish a joint bicameral, that means House and Senate, committee to investigate the withdrawal. Now, I'm not sure they're going to get that joint committee because it would have to pass the Senate. Uh, Senator T Tillis has introduced a bill to establish this committee, and I don't think it will pass the Senate, but McCall will do the investigation in the House. And let me just read you a couple of the things that they want to get from the U.S. government. Uh, they want to get the full and unredacted transcript of the phone call between President Biden and President Ashraf Ghani 
of Afghanistan on July 23rd, 2021. Why is that important? Because Biden said, Afghani told him, there was absolutely no threat of the government collapsing. Uh, they were going to be just fine. They had all the weapons they need. They had all the support they needed. Everything was hunky-dory. And of course, a couple of days later, uh, he skipped out of town with uh, $100 million or $200 million in cash, our cash, on his aircraft. Uh, they also want a summary of any intelligence reports that indicated an imminent threat at the Hamid Karzai International Airport preceding that deadly attack I mentioned earlier that took the lives of 13 servicemen on August 26, 2021, because they know that there were intelligence reports ahead of time. They also want an assessment of the U.S. assets left behind by the allies that could now be used by the Taliban, ISIS, and other terrorist organizations operating in the regions. So these are really important things. It's extremely embarrassing, I hate to say, for the Biden administration. Uh, and uh, we are going to be hearing more about this in the coming weeks, because regardless of whether this goes through in the Senate as a bill, as a, as a joint bicameral committee, it will be done by Mike McCall in the House. So we will hear about this. Well, Ken, you have talked about this quite a bit, and I believe just the fallout when you look at human rights in Afghanistan, especially when it relates to the rights of the women there in Afghanistan. And also, I've heard that there are arms, weapons, United States weapons that were left behind by us that are turning up in conflicts around the world. Well, that's right. And, uh, you know, originally we were told it was 85 billion dollars worth of weapons. Now, uh, the Pentagon is trying to downsize that by a multiple of 10. Uh, quite extraordinary. I don't quite know how they go from 85 billion to 7 billion. But at any rate, there was a lot of weapons left behind. And they are now showing up uh, just this past week in the hands of Muslim uh, extremist jihadi militants in Kashmir fighting the Indians. And there have been reports just recently that Putin has been buying up U.S. weapons left behind to use against the Ukrainians. So those weapons were not all destroyed, as sometimes we are told by happy spokesmen from the Pentagon or the White House. They are quite capable, quite deadly, and they are killing people in battlefields in the region for now and later perhaps outside the region too. Such a serious situation. I don't think we can overestimate the importance of that disastrous withdrawal. Well, Ken, thank you so much for educating our listeners. So many things going on in the world. You do a great job. Again, if you would like to find out more about Ken Timmerman, go to KenTimmerman.com. You can look at his many books, including his latest, and the rest is history. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Rick. It's always a pleasure. That was Ken Timmerman. And uh, I want to thank you, Ken. And Rick, thank you so much. You know, we focus on these stories. And I know that they are almost out of uh, any news media that you want to watch. We are just kind of building off of those. But we're picking stories that, as world leaders are making decisions, they are setting in motion consequences consequences that will be fulfilled in the end times in the book of revelation it's laid out uh, the book of ezekiel the book of daniel the three main prophetic books of the bible zechariah 17 minor prophets by 16 prophets that wrote those books yes they all pertain to events that will take place in the future one-third of god's word and that's why we focus on these events well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to focus on the nation of Israel with our Middle East News Update, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. 
I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. The Islamic State released an infographic this week highlighting its global activity. Africa rose to the top with the deadliest and most frequent attacks. When ISIS took over parts of Iraq and Syria, jihad led to Christian persecution. It's no different in Africa. The Voice of the Martyrs USA added three new African countries to its 2023 persecution prayer map, asked God to protect believers in Africa who are facing Islamist terrorism. Elsewhere, aid workers supported by Christian Aid Mission share the hope of Christ with refugees in Greece. Fatima, a mother of four, became friends with the aid workers who helped her replace important documents. She told them about her painful childhood and abusive husband. Believers encouraged Fatima with God's word and showed her Christ's love through their actions. Pray Jesus would reveal himself so clearly that Fatima won't be able to deny him. Find your place in this story at missionnews.org. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. Well, this is our Middle East news update, and joining us this week is Dave Dolan. He's a journalist, an author, and a good friend of the program. Dave, thank you for being with us. Good to be with you, Rick. Well, Dave, we'll start where we left off last week. There's continuing conflict. Now there has been uh, reports of rockets coming out of Gaza and going into Gaza. Can you tell us what you know about that? Yes, Rick. On uh, Wednesday afternoon, several rockets were launched into Israel proper, one at the uh, town of Sidorot that's often targeted, and nobody was uh, injured because the Iron Dome intercepted them. Uh, A woman was injured falling while rushing to her bomb shelter, but uh, the rockets didn't hit anyone. In response, the IDF hit a central Hamas base later that day, uh, even though it was Islamic Jihad, the Iranian-backed group, fully backed group that said it had fired the rockets. Israel responded by hitting a Hamas factory that produces rockets and a military base that they said is a central base. And this was given the reason for this attack uh, Islamic Jihad gave was that a number of Palestinian prisoners have been put in solitary confinement in the last few days after they openly praised last week's terror attack in Jerusalem last Friday, a week ago, that left seven Israelis dead, including a a teenage boy. They were openly celebrating, handing out candy and shouting and clapping and doing these sorts of things. And the Israeli guards told them to be quiet, and they, they wouldn't, so they were put in solitary confinement. But just the latest upsurge in the uh, continuing struggle between the two sides. Well, Dave, amidst all this turmoil and these terror attacks, the United States Secretary of State Anthony Blinken visited Israel. 
Yeah, Rick, he arrived on Monday and he left just before this uh, rocket barrage on Wednesday, uh, visiting with Israeli leaders and with Palestinian leaders. His statement made publicly standing next to Prime Minister Netanyahu raised some eyebrows, Rick. He basically gave him a lecture on democracy. He said it's uh, imperative that we uphold democratic values, that uh, we don't uh, do anything that will uh, harm that, and on and on. And it was clearly a veiled statement about Israel's new government and the attempts to reform the judicial system. Several ministers, including um, Itamar Ben-Gavir, the controversial new national security minister, chastised the <laughs> Secretary of State, saying, you know, we don't need to be lectured about democracy. Israel's a long-term democracy. We have the government we have because we had democratic elections, he pointed out. So a little bit of a scuffle there. Uh, what was said privately between the two leaders, we don't know. And then he went on to Ramallah and met with uh, Mahmoud Abbas, urged him not to stop security cooperation with Israel, which was announced a couple weeks ago after the Israeli raid in Jenin in the north. Uh, he said, keep on with that. The U.S. wants to see that happen. But interestingly enough, Rick, he didn't uh, mention the two-state solution publicly. Uh, which he was expected to do when he first came. Instead, he focused on the trouble, and he said, we need de-escalation, we need calm, and we need a steady hand on democracy. Those were his main themes. We've talked quite a bit about this new government and the uh, supposed right-wing aspect to it. You've talked a little bit about Ben Gavir today and his comments on how uh, the situation is being handled in Gaza. And also Bezalel Smotrich, the other minister that uh, is heavily featured here, he had some pretty strong things to say about uh, providing funding or taking away funding to the Palestinian Authority when it comes to these terrorist attacks. Yes, Rick, we've mentioned that he has an office in the defense ministry now to oversee developments in Judea and Samaria involving the Jewish population. But formally, he is finance minister in the government in charge of the transfer of funds and different things like that. And Israel collects taxes for the Palestinians in Area C that the Israelis control, where there are still some Palestinians living. And they hand that over every year to the Palestinian Authority. It's been around 50 million shekels a year on average, uh, which is about uh, $15 million. He said that he would withhold all of that and, in fact, double it to 100 million shekels that he's withholding because they continue, the PA, to um, send money to families that commit these terror attacks. This move seems to have the support of a lot of people in Israel because, of course, we've just had these atrocious terror attacks in Jerusalem and last year down on the coast, and uh, many Israelis, now nearly 40 dead. Well, we'll continue on, and that is a serious situation, and it's interesting the way this new government is working, uh, and in a certain sense drawing a hard line. But we'll continue on. Let's look at the Middle East, and Israel not only has to worry about um, the terrorists that are within the borders, but they are also dealing with Iran, who is a sworn enemy and has said that they intend to harm Israel. And one of the things that Israel has done is they've recently had a very successful drone attack in Iran. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, Rick, that was last uh, Saturday night. Israel did not say that it carried out the attack, but it's pretty well thought that it did. And in fact, the Iranians are now saying 
that they have proof from the drones that it was an Israeli attack and they've protested at the UN or calling for an emergency meeting. They said the three or four drones did little damage to uh, uh, what Israel believes is a nuclear facility near the central city of Isfahan, where they have other nuclear facilities. But the Israelis say it was very much more damage. That's Israeli media reports based on Israeli intelligence, no doubt, said no. They did quite a bit of damage to these buildings developing nuclear weapons, one of them an underground facility, we're told. So um, that was strongly condemned by Iran. And interestingly enough, and ominously enough, Russia also, the foreign ministry issued a strong statement about this, saying people, and they didn't say Israel, but people who believe they can defeat Iran and weaken it are wrong. Iran will remain and its government will remain strong, etc. That was the strongest pro-Iranian statement I've ever seen from a, a Russian uh, official. This was the foreign ministry that issued a formal statement. So it obviously had the approval of Putin and other top leaders and uh, indicates that alliance that's in the Bible between Persia, Iran, and Russia, uh, Gog, uh, is growing and growing stronger every day. Certainly does, and we keep an eye on that situation, and it continues to pop up in the news. Well, David, my last question is a little bit lighter, and it's uh, something that's probably near and dear to both of our hearts, and that is the Sea of Galilee, a beautiful area we both have spent a lot of time in Israel, so important in Christ's ministry, but now the Sea of Galilee is in the news for a good reason, isn't it? It is, Rick. I live just north of it and went down there with friends swimming all the time, and sometimes we went fishing even. That's biblical. Uh, yes, it's been dropping like the Dead Sea has as well over recent decades due to drought and overuse of water. Well, now the Israelis have announced a plan to replenish it via the Mediterranean Sea, via some desalinization plants that Israel has built in recent years along the coast. They're going to pump water from that into the central water system that goes throughout Israel, and they're going to pump it in reverse up to the Sea of Galilee instead of water coming out of the Sea of Galilee into that national water carrier. And they say they can pump enough that will raise the level nearly two feet a year. And at the same time, they're building a branch off of the uh, water carrier into Jordan, a new branch that goes through the Israeli city of Beit Shan, and that's to double the amount of water that Israel is selling to uh, Jordan. That's part of the 1994 peace accord that they would do that. Just a good sign that there is still peace in effect between those two countries. That's vital. And of course, a very thrilling to see the Sea of Galilee not disappear. It was another drought till winter. It's been very warm in Israel this winter and not much rain. So they, they needed to do this. Again, Israeli innovation, uh, water from the, the ocean, turning it into fresh water that will um, replenish the sea. Of course, other countries do that too. But Israel is the world's leader in desalinization. Very interesting and something we've talked about if you've been to Israel with us. Uh, and you know that it's basically a national obsession for Israelis, the level of the Sea of Galilee, because it is so important. And we've even had retired army generals and different people in uh, in Israel say that the next war in the Middle East won't be over oil. It will be over water because it is so important, isn't it? 
It is. It's a great blessing from heaven, but uh, the water minister, government minister this week said we can no longer rely on rain. We've got too many people in our country. The rains have been too light and weak in recent decades. We have to do other things. So this is a change of direction. And again, uh, the Israelis make the desert bloom, just like the Bible said, Mm -hmm. and they're saving the lake that uh, Jesus walked on and sailed on many times. Well, David, excellent report today. So many things for us to think and talk about. We appreciate you coming on. We appreciate you sharing your experience and your insight. We look forward to talking to you again soon. You're welcome, Rick. God bless. We're going to take a break right now, but when we come back, we'll have more. We'll have Colonel Bob McGinnis and R.C. Murrow with us as we discuss current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Stay tuned right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy D. Young Jr. Along with Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, we're going to keep this going. We've got Colonel Bob McGinnis standing by. Colonel Bud Guinness, a graduate of West Point, a day job at the Pentagon, served in, on, on many uh, foreign fields, working with our military. Let's find out what he has to say about where we are in the end times. Colonel Bob McGinnis joins us today. He's a retired colonel from the military, still works in the Pentagon. He's a man in the know. He is also an author in uh, his latest book, Kings of the East. China's plan to eliminate America and impose a communist world order. Bob's been on the show before. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Well, we'd like to get some updates from some of the hot spots of the areas that we check out, and we know that you have a, an area of expertise in. And we'll start with basically the, the the biggest story in the world right now. Looks like for the anniversary of their invasion of Ukraine, Russia is looking to mount an offensive maybe with as many as 500,000 soldiers? Well, you know, that's speculation, of course. Uh, Last year, Vladimir Putin uh, sent out a draft notice, essentially, and uh, allegedly brought in another 300,000 soldiers. Now, keep in mind, the Russians have lost uh, arguably uh, approaching 100,000 soldiers, not counting all the wounded and the like. It's been a devastating war since the 24th of February of this past year. And so, you know, what they're preparing for, though, is, of course, this massive attack using this phalanx of tens of not hundreds of thousands of soldiers. 
you know, from the south and from the east of Ukraine uh, to try to recapture territory that has been lost to Ukrainian resilience and effectiveness. Uh, so this this is something that's been long in coming and well predicted. You know, the question is whether or not Ukrainians will have sufficient arms and the, the will uh, to push back. I, I would argue that uh, it's quite possible that the Ukrainians will hold the Russians and, in fact, use some longer-range projectiles, artillery and and missiles and the like, and to begin to really put the Russians on the defensive in places like Crimea, where you know, Vladimir Putin has, of course, you know, put down deep roots and hopes to maintain and preserve that outlet to the Black Sea. So we'll have to wait and see. Colonel, as I'm going to give you a chance a little bit later to kind of wrap this up as we look at this from a biblical and, and prophetic perspective, but I have some more questions just dealing with Ukraine. Now, some people, and I've heard this said, that Ukraine is fighting a proxy war for the West, and this is something that maybe uh, if we keep on feeding them arms, they're basically draining Russia's resources. Is this a way that you look at it? Is this the way the, the military strategists look at it? Well, unfortunately, so far, President Biden has not made the argument that this is a proxy war. But, you know, I think uh, underneath the the senior leaders in Western Europe and the United States that most people acknowledge that we are pouring in weapons into Ukraine uh, to really cripple uh, the Russian Federation and therefore, you know, bring about the demise of Vladimir Putin. Um, it, it seems to me that we've we certainly have anteed up an incredible amount of equipment and aid to the Ukrainians, uh, and yet we have yet to hear true justification uh, that would explain why uh, this cost, why we are bearing this cost. At the same time, we are decimating our own arsenal and supplies. We don't have an infinite uh, arsenal to back up, and especially when we consider that there are other hot spots such as China in the world that are rumbling and threatening uh, our interest in East Asia. So there are a lot of things that are on the table here. Uh, the Ukrainian war is likely to continue for some time. I think that if the pressure is intensified and Putin gets back to a corner, perhaps there'll be some move to seek peace. Well, that was my final question about Russia. In this scenario, is there a way that uh, this war ends with Vladimir Putin still in charge of Russia? Many people are saying that he needs to be taught a lesson, maybe as an example, like you said, to those other locations, China that you were talking about, uh, that you cannot attack another state with impunity. Well, history demonstrates that if you don't, you know, cut off the head of the snake that they continue to attack their neighbors and do their injustice across wherever they happen to be. We saw this, and certainly in the case in World War II, and and you know, in other periods of time over the last few centuries. So, uh, can Mr. Putin survive? Um, perhaps not. He was quote elected uh, by a large majority of his people, uh, but the real power brokers are the oligarchs who. You know, really control things behind the scene, and and he has brought them along to a large degree, uh, and you know their future is somewhat tethered to him. So, uh, whether or not he's willing to uh, forfeit, you know, 
eastern part of Ukraine, which he's annexed by constitutional mandate, and Crimea, uh, or if you know the Ukrainians thus far un- are unwilling to do you know to surrender territory permanently to the Russians, uh, then we're at an impasse. Uh, but I suspect by the summer. Uh, and tens of thousands of more casualties on both sides that there might be some you know, effort to seek uh, some sort of peace. I would hope that the, the U.S. and the West is is pushing hard for Zelensky to come to some sort of uh, a accommodation with the Russians so that um, the carnage doesn't continue. Well, we'll move away from Russia and, and look at China because you already brought them up. You mentioned them already. And this current climate, uh, I've heard that they are, uh, their population is struggling, their population is not growing, their economy is stagnating. COVID hit them hard because they kind of gave up their zero COVID policy. Now, you wrote a book called Kings of the East where you basically detail their quest to become a superpower. And I'm just looking in the world's current climate, are they still developing that, uh, that chance to become a superpower to overtake the United States as the most potent force in the world? There's no question in my mind that um, you know, President Xi and his Politburo, which just met again, uh, are really focused on world domination. Uh, the fact that they had a, a stumble with COVID protocols and you know suffered uh, a fair amount, but we don't know the full extent of it. Uh, and, of course, um, the pushback uh, by the West on some of the trade sanctions that we're beginning to impose, especially on the... Uh, technology on Huawei and, and so forth, you know, are evidence of the fact that, um, yeah, they're going to have to be more independent. I know that Xi's speech yesterday to the Politburo called for uh, more of you know, independence uh, technologically from the West because of the threats that we pose on them. But, you know, they push back on every front when it comes to you know, our Vested interests with the Japanese, Koreans, Taiwanese, Filipinos, and South China Sea. And so the entire First Island chain, which I just described, uh, is strategically important to the Chinese, but, you know, we're giving them a hard time along with all those allies. But yet, I do believe uh, in time, as I indicate in Kings of the East, that uh, there's it's just a matter of time, you know, whether or not uh, we're talking a year or two years or perhaps more before the Chinese finally have the, the gall and the forces arrayed in such a way as to seize Taiwan. Now, we are arming them. Uh, we are collaborating, cooperating with them. Uh, regionally, we just had uh, Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense, was just in Manila, and we got some assurances from yeah, President Marcos, with regard to uh, five Philippine military bases where we could do some pre-positioning of equipment and stockage and the like. Uh, that, of course, runs contrary to what the Chinese want to hear because they're rather assertive in the South China Sea, as everybody knows. So when you put all that together, you begin to see a scenario in which uh, confrontation, you know, even in a very kinetic way, a firing way, uh, is not all that far off. 
Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis. The book is Kings of the East, China's Plan to Eliminate America and Impose a Communist World Order. Talks about everything that you're saying here with China. Gives some really great information. Well, one more country I want to look at. We've looked at Russia. We've looked at China. I'd like to go to Iran. I know that's another country that you follow, you keep tags on. I've had not talked to you since these protests began. Are these protests over? Is the threat to the regime there in uh, in Iran, is that still something that could happen, that could be taken over, or uh, how is this all played out? Well, a lot depends upon how much support we provide uh, from the rest of the world. Uh, the Iranians have been uh, rather strong in their reaction to internal protests. You know, we've We've seen, of course, suppression of uh, the press so that we don't know exactly what's going on. Uh, but this is something that we've seen on and off again, the Green Revolution that during the Obama years, in which we didn't push back much. And, you know, though the Iranian dis- dissidents uh, spoke out, many were killed and many were imprisoned. I, I'm not optimistic, given the iron grip that the you know, Islamic administration has over the country, that they're going to you know, be unsettled or removed from uh, control in Tehran. Uh, that opposition will continue, of course, under the you know, the seat of night, but uh, the reality is that I don't think that they're going to go anywhere anytime soon. I've heard some things in the news that they are closer than ever and maybe even actually can make several nuclear weapons right now. What kind of threat uh, does our government, does our military look at that? And when, if they become a nuclear power, are we worried about ballistic missiles or maybe some kind of dirty bomb? And at what point do you think they're going to really focus on Israel? Well, I don't think they're, Israel's ever out of uh, Tehran's crosshairs. You know, if, after all, Iran has uh, forces, uh, mostly IRGC in Syria, and, you know, the Israelis are either bombing them with F-16s or uh, the Iranian or Hezbollah are, you know, lobbing missiles into Iran or into Israel. And, of course, uh, they, they, you know, strike from the south. They work through um, a variety of Islamic Jihad groups and the like. So when you consider that Iran is ideologically at war and has from the very beginning in 79 against Israel, they're not going to take their eyes off that. They use that as a means to of provocation and also to a call for nationalism within their own ranks. So it's an important ingredient and there's ideological campaign uh, to maintain control over their population. Are they acquiring a nuclear program? Uh, likely. Um, you know, they, they certainly have all the elements, and they have for some time. Uh, their collaboration and cooperation with the Russians uh, is a, and the Chinese in a major way with a, a strategic alignment and um, a tree, or organizational uh, alignment. Uh, They've been selling the Russians all sorts of uh, drones and ballistic missiles and the like. They've exchanged uh, personnel. And I suspect that there is a price tag with that for the Iranians from the Russians. The Russians, of course, have the the wherewithal. Uh, They've built the nuclear reactors now at the second site there in Iran. Uh, I think that the Russians will certainly provide whatever the Iranians want I think the people that 
you know, are probably watching this as closely as Israel are in Saudi Arabia, and I suspect that the Saudis have much the same technologies, and of course in their ballistic missile program, which you know is in the middle of a desert uh, that the Chinese sold them many years ago. I suspect that uh, those are poised on uh, various Iranian targets as well. So uh, we have a uh, a tinderbox of you know places in the world, you know, certainly in the Persian Gulf uh, with Iran and Israel and Saudi Arabia and the Emirates and so forth. And, of course, you, you have the, the underbelly of uh, Eastern Europe with what's going on with Ukraine and Russia and NATO uh, on pins and needles. And, of course, you know, you've got Turkey in the middle, which has its own problems with presidential elections. And the entire eastern part uh, of Asia, uh, which we spoke of a few minutes ago with China, an emergent global power and not turning off the you know the the mechanisms that it has in place to you know, grow its dominance uh, it dominates much of Africa uh, South America um, major influence in certain parts of the underbelly of Europe and of course you know, their indirect influence here in this country through media and through other aspects of our culture and our Infrastructure. Uh, they are they are the primary um, pacing threat, as the Pentagon calls it, for us in the world. It's not Russia. It's not Iran or North Korea. It's China, and China will continue to be a major pacing threat. Um, we don't call them an enemy yet, but um, you know those of us who know what's going on uh, are very very clear. Yeah, they truly are our enemy. Well, I know that's a world in which you operate in, so I'm certainly, you have a ton of information to share there, and I just appreciate the fact that I can uh, benefit from your knowledge and experience. Well, my final question, and you've talked about China, you've talked about Russia, you've talked about Iran, and all these things are taking place, uh, current events happening in these nations, and we know these nations are mentioned in Bible prophecy. You've written about that in your books. If you could just share with our listeners, whether they be believers or maybe uh, still searching and looking and listening to this program, what's the hope that we have as believers? Well, there is hope, of course, for those that you know, know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's ultimately, you know, for man— you know, living in today's uh, wretched, sinful world, uh, unless you uh, have the promise of salvation as Christ provides, uh, your hope is uh, it's meaningless. Certainly what I wrote about in 2018, the alliance of evil about Russia and China in a new Cold War against the United States is being played out in spades as well. Prophetically, uh, you know, it could be that, that Russia emerges, as we see in Ezekiel, as the power, the, the Magog uh, coming out of the north, aligning itself with Iran and Turkey and attacking into Israel with the assistance of perhaps the Chinese, into, you know, flowing down from uh, the Euphrates into Armageddon. And th- those are all, it's hard to know. Um, I, I've studied those. I've I've considered that, but you know, God has a veil over you know the the, the exact details of what this is all about. But I'm convinced that what we're seeing today played out domestically in the United States. And I wrote the book 
give me liberty, not Marxism. You know, certainly we have a, a leftist government, uh, a lot of people in this country. And my new book, which will be coming out later this summer, uh, deals with all of what's happening and tearing at the very fiber of who this country has been and who we are going forward. So, you know, geopolitically, domestically, um, we certainly are inching and almost accelerating toward what I think is a end-time scenario. So, you know, keep looking up. Things are going to happen. And um, though none of us know exactly when, as the Lord made clear, uh, it could be happening uh, as we speak. Thank you so much for a great interview. Thank you for all of your information and for that exhortation. Absolutely. Keep looking up. Thank you so much, Colonel McGinnis. Take care now. Well, Colonel Bob McGinnis gives us insights, not only on updating us on the Ukraine crisis, China, Iran, uh, he even gives us a reason for hope. You know what? And that's so very important. Again, you know, we try to help you see that the stage is set. The chess pieces are on the chessboard and they're moving. And really, you can't move one chess piece without affecting others on the board, or you can't set the stage and move props on without uh, it relating to something else on the stage. So that's why we try to help folks to understand what is happening around the world. And that's why to this week I'm bringing back R.C. Murrow. R.C., welcome to the program again. Uh, Jimmy, great to be with you again. Yes, sir. And you know, RC, I have, uh, and I've, uh, this is a very interesting topic we're going to cover today. We've covered it before, but before we get there, you and I were talking before going on the air that you know the America that we see today and the world that we see is changing so fast. It's almost like technology. I think they say technology advances every three minutes. Man, the 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 chessboard is changing. Uh, in the world that we see very fast, isn't it? It really is, Jimmy. And I, and I think what I said to you earlier was, was it's like you wake up in the morning, you say, how far are they going to push it today? Mm. How many, how many chess pieces are going to start moving towards a prophetic fulfillment today? And it doesn't take more than a half hour sitting at the computer. Do you start seeing them falling in place? Um, mm. Uh, it, it literally is something you could do all day long. It just you run out of time. That is so true. And and sometimes, I mean, you do do that all day long sometimes as you're all watching <laughs> you know, world events and news and items as they're coming across. Well, an article you sent me earlier this week, a dollar collapse is now in motion. Saudi Arabia signals the end of petro status was something we have touched on before, but from this post, it seems ominous. Tell us about it. Yeah, Jimmy, the article comes from a website called altdollar.com. And the reason that we're getting closer to a dollar collapse is based on the challenge that China is making to the petrodollar. And I want to just give you a little definition to our listeners on petrodollars. So oil, we know, trades in dollars. When a non-oil producing nation purchases oil from an OPEC nation like Saudi Arabia. They pay for it in U.S. dollars called petrodollars, reinforcing the dollar as the world reserve currency. Therefore, petrodollars are the primary source of revenue for many OPEC members and other oil exporters and are critical for the U.S. economy. If or when that process gets disrupted by another alternative currency being used for settling oil trades, those nations would have to sell dollars to stock up on the new currency for future purchases of oil. Mm. A Mises Institute quote on a declining dollar said this, a movement away from the dollar in slow motion 
will raise the cost of living for every American. Keep in mind three dates. On October 1, 2016, the International Monetary Fund, or the IMF, approved the Chinese currency renminbi, a unit of yuan, as a de facto world reserve currency to be added to the basket of reserve currencies along with the dollar, the euro, the Japanese yen, and the British pound sterling. Now, just one and a half years later, on March 28, 2018, China launched the Petro Yuan for settling oil trades in an open threat to the U.S. dollar. And on March 15, 2022, the petrodollar weakened as the Wall Street Journal announced that Saudi Arabia is considering accepting yuan for Chinese oil purchases. And with China, a major player among the BRICS nations, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, a ready market for the yuan as a second reserve currency is being built. And what's really important is to keep in mind that on March 2nd, 2022, Fed Chief Powell stunned the world when he said the world could have a second reserve currency. Mm. RC, are you saying that Saudi Arabia is ready to dump the U.S. dollar as world reserve currency? Yeah, Jimmy, Saudi Arabia and China have shared interests. China needs a lot of oil. Saudi Arabia has a lot of oil. Mm -hmm. Add that to the relations between Mohammed bin Salman or MBS and Joe Biden have deteriorated to the point that MBS refused to increase oil production prior to the 2022 election to help buy a Biden lower oil prices. Mm. Okay, but there must be more for the Saudis to make such a drastic move against the dollar. And you know there is, Jimmy. According to all markets, Saudi Arabia's new young leader is being supported by a gigantic public investment fund is comprised of trillions of dollars supplied by globalists within the Carlyle Group, the Bush family, Goldman Sachs, Blackstone, BlackRock, the largest investment fund in the world with over $10 trillion in assets. Jimmy, MBS has garnered the favor of the globalists for one specific reason. He openly supports the UN's vision for 2030 a plan for the dismantling mm. of fossil fuel-based energy and the implementation of carbon controls. Yes, the head <laughs> of Saudi Arabia is backing the eventual end of oil-based energy, and part of that includes the end of the dollar as petrocurrency. In exchange, MBS for his cooperation, the Saudis are being given access to ESG funding or environmental, social, and governmental funding, which determines whether a company or an investment company is in, a, in alignment with UN 2030 climate sustainability. ESG is overtaking most of the world's largest investment companies like BlackRock and others and will provide the Saudis with access to artificial intelligence advancements and an entrance into the so-called digital economy. RC, it seems like all these people are in this together, and, and it's, uh, you know, us as the little people, we're not really having a say in this, are we? No, it's really true. I mean, these are these are humongous co corporations and investment mm -hmm. companies and all the and, and, and extremely wealthy families that seem to be working all together on this UN 2030 that we just we're just not hearing all that much about. But it's going on and it's moving forward. Mm, wow. Well, we always end our talks on how all this relates to Bible prophecy. Jimmy, while the world readies for a single currency, beginning with central bank digital currencies that we've spoken up so many times, globalists plot and plan for the end of the U.S. dollar. Mm -hmm. They want a single currency made up of a basket of digital currencies that we spoke of earlier 
that'll be controlled by the International Monetary Fund. But Bible prophecy tells us that will only be temporary because after Antichrist arrives on the world stage, he will be indwelt by Satan and together with the false prophet will seize control of the global political system, Revelation 13.4, the global religious system, Revelation 13.11, and the global economic system found in Revelation 13.16-18. All three systems are in the process of being rebuilt to accommodate the final government. Yes, and R.C., as we look at this, and I mean, that is a great analysis for folks. You can see this. Again, you're seeing how all the pieces relate together. And, you know, I think for the most part, the downfall really of America and my father's last video that he did, the destiny of America and and really the downfall of it. That's what we were going to title it. That's what all these globalists need is for America, which is a or was a Christian nation. But when they see the downfall of America, they will be able to do what they want to. Correct? That's really true. I mean, to see the, the, the U.S. currency has been the engine of the world for, since World War II, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And once if that starts to come to an end, we're going to start to see, as the Mises guy said, the Mises Institute, a declining dollar, even in slow motion will raise the cost of living drastically for every American. Wow, wow. R.C., give us your website again. It's prophecytracker.org, and we'll put a a post up on this uh, Saturday for for, for the readers to look at it again. Thank you so much, prophecytracker.org. Folks, go there. And this, the reason I have RC on the program is just so that we will will always be aware. We are not to be misled. We are to, you know, don't be afraid. God has a plan, and we just need to finish doing what we need to do as believers in Jesus Christ, our role, which is to tell others about God's plan of salvation for all of mankind. Thank you, RC, for joining with us this week. I look forward to catching up with you again. Thank you, Jimmy. Great to be with you again. God bless. We'll be back after the break with the Legacy Series right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. It's a labor of love, Rick, that we started years ago. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung started the series and uh, the program, Prophecy Today Weekend. We've been examining current events to help the body of Christ to stay aware in what's taking place in the world. We certainly have, Jimmy, and if you've been listening to the program for any length of time, you know how excited we are to get you involved in studying God's prophetic word. And many people ask, you know, how can we become more involved? What more can we do? Well, we have our website. You can go to prophecytoday.com. There you can peruse some of our materials, things that we have to help you study, but just get involved. Join our Facebook page, join our Twitter page. Uh, In fact, if you go to our website, you could send us questions, and we love to answer those questions on the air. We would like to engage with you, the listener, so we can study together God's prophetic word and be encouraged. And again, that is prophecytoday.com. Go there, and we would love to have your input. Give us, uh, tell us what you think of the program and tell a friend. That would really help us out. Last week, we looked at the Palestinian people from a political perspective, and we went to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25 is the record of the birth of twin boys to Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac was the son of Abraham and his twin sons, Jacob and Esau, the grandsons of Abraham. Remember, the Lord appeared to the mother of these two boys and told her a very important truth. 
That's found in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 23, where the scripture tells us exactly what the Lord told Rebekah. Let's go now to that passage in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 23 and the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people. Now notice, and the elder shall serve the younger. God's sovereign selection was that the elder would serve the younger. That went against tradition. In the Middle East, the elder son would receive not only the birthright at birth, but the blessing pronounced by his father at the end of his father's life to pass the heritage along and keep the generations of these people moving ahead. But at this point in time, the Lord selects the elder to serve the younger, giving the younger the potential for the birthright and the blessing to be received. The truth is that uh, indeed, Rebekah, the mother of uh, both Esau and Jacob, who favored Jacob the most, would not have to connive as much as she did along with her son Jacob had she just paid attention to what the Lord had to say. Well, the boys were born. And of course, coming out first was Esau. Howbeit, by less than a body link, remember Jacob had his hand on the heel of his brother Esau, but Esau indeed was the firstborn. He comes out, he now is going to receive the birthright and ultimately the blessing pronounced by his father. The birthright is given to Esau. The boys grow up, and Jacob, because he did not and his mother did not pay attention to what the Lord had to say, starts to manipulate and connive to be able to get the birthright. One day, Esau was out on the field working. Jacob uh, got a great big wonderful lunch from his mother, starts out for the field. He gets out there. Esau sees him. Esau says, hey, Jacob, how about a little bit of that lunch? And Jacob shouts back, no, mama made this for me. If you want something, go get it for mama. This is my lunch. And old Jacob went under the shade of a tree and started to eat his lunch. And he saw perspiring as he could in the field. He said, man, I'm starving. Give me some of that. Well, you know the story. Ultimately, Jacob was able to manipulate old Esau. So Esau, in order to get some of the lunch, in fact, Jacob gave him the whole lunch. And he said, look, I'll give you this lunch. You give me your birthright. And Esau needing, because of his hunger, something to eat. That's what happened. Well, that was the first step in the conniving, manipulating ways of Jacob. At the end of his father's life, Isaac, about to be dead and mostly blind at the time, called his son Esau in and he said, now, son, you're my firstborn. It's my responsibility to pronounce the blessing upon you. Here's what I'd like for you to do. Go out into the field, kill a deer, dress the deer, make some venison stew. I love venison stew. You do that and we'll have a meal together and I'll pronounce the blessing upon you. And so Esau takes off to the field to kill a deer, dress it, and make the venison stew. Meanwhile, Rebekah hears about the plan of her f- husband to uh, his son uh, Esau. And she calls old Jacob and she says, I got an idea. You've got that birthright. We're going to get the blessing for you as well. And Jacob said, well, mama, how are we going to do that? 
He said, oh, that's very simple. We'll uh, get one of old Esau's toga. It stinks like he does. You'll put it on you. We'll get some animal skin because you're not very hairy at all. Your brother's very hairy. We'll put it on your arms. And listen, don't worry about that venison stew. I taught Esau how to make the venison stew. I've got enough in the freezer. We'll get it out, put it in the microwave, and you can take it in. And you can have it with your daddy, and he'll pronounce the blessing upon you. Well, that was the case. Oh, Jacob dressed up like his brother Esau, got the venison stew from his mother, walked into uh, Isaac and said, Abba, which is daddy in Hebrew, Abba, daddy, I'm here for the blessing. Isaac, not hardly able to see at all, uh, thought that was Esau. He smelled like him. He kind of felt his arm. He felt like him. And the venison stew was delicious, just like Esau could make. He had the venison stew meal. He pronounced the blessing upon Jacob. Jacob gets the blessing, starts out, incoming at that time is Esau. Hi, Jacob. How you doing, buddy? He walks in with the venison stew meal to give it to his daddy. And his daddy said, what do you mean? You, we just had our meal together. What are you coming back here for? And Esau said, daddy, I've not been here. I just got here. And all of a sudden, the lights went on. Oh, well, Esau said, my brother got here first. You, I did. I pronounced the blessing. I thought it was you, but it was Jacob. And at that point in time... Esau threw a temper tantrum. If you don't believe that, go to chapter 27 of the book of Genesis. Let me show you what happened. Chapter 27, verse 38. And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice, and he wept. Now you exegete that. That's throwing a temper tantrum. Lifting your voice and weeping, that's a temper tantrum. Look at verse 39. And I saw Isaac, his father, answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of the heaven from above. Verse 40. And by the sword shall thou live and shall serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. Verse 41. 41. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing. Wherewith his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. In other words, when he dies, the time of mourning. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. At that point in time, I'm going to slay my brother. At this point in time, Rebecca realizes that she has a real problem. Her favored son is going to probably be killed by his brother. And so she says, look, I got a brother who lives up in Haran, which is modern day Turkey. You go up there, you stay with him and let your brother Esau cool off. So he goes up there. He gets up there. When he arrives, he sees his cousin who is so beautiful. He looks at her. She comes out, serves him. She waters his, his cattle. And he says to Rachel, boy, I would love to marry you. But you have to talk to daddy. Walked in, talked to daddy, and daddy figured out, well, Rachel is beautiful, but I got this kind of ugly girl, too. And I got to get rid of her because nobody will ever want to marry her. So uh, he manipulated old manipulator himself. And, uh, of course, you know the story. Jacob ended up marrying Leah and Rachel. They have 11 boys. About this time, they figure that everything's settled down as far as Esau is concerned. And so Jacob, his two wives, and their 11 sons take off going back to Israel, to the land of promise. 
as they come along the way, they come by the Jabbok River, which is a tributary off the Jordan River in modern-day Jordan. There, Jacob has a wrestling match all night long with Jesus Christ in a pre-incarnate appearance. Before he leaves that wrestling match, he told the Lord, I want something. I'm not going to let you go until you give it to me. 32nd chapter of the book of Genesis is where I'm talking about. And in that passage of scripture, we see that God changed Jacob's name to Israel, which literally means I will fight for you. Don't worry about manipulating. I will fight for you. And then because of what he had done, he touched his thigh and crippled him so that he would limp the rest of his life. You see, the thigh is 10 times stronger than any muscle in your body. So he went for his strongest muscle and caused him to limp. Well, limping Jacob comes back into Israel. He brings his family. They have many children, many men servants and women servants, much cattle. Go to the 36th chapter of the book of Genesis. I know I'm giving you a history lesson. Just relax. We're going to get to the prophecy in a moment. You have to understand the history before you can understand the prophecy. In chapters 36 and 37, we see something very interesting that will happen in the lives of these young men. The Lord is going to realize he's going to have to separate them. Chapter 37 and verse 1, notice what it says. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And so God is going to allow Jacob, as was his plan, the firstborn being served, excuse me, serving the secondborn, and the secondborn being the leader that will take the heritage of the family into the future. Chapter 36 gives us a bit of information about Esau. Now, these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. And by the way, Esau had his name also changed to Edom. Look what it says here, verse 6. And Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all the persons of his house and his cattle and all of his beasts and all of his substance, which he had got in the land of Canaan, and went into a country from the face of his brother Jacob. Now, why did these boys have to be separated? Look at verse 7. For their riches were more than that they might dwell together, and the land wherein they were strangers could not bear them because of their cattle. Now, notice verse 8. It is key when we get to the prophetic passages. Verse 8, thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. Now that is key and it prophetically we'll understand it in just a few moments. Let me tell you where Mount Seir is located. Mount Seir is the lower third of modern day Jordan. The key city or the capital city of Mount Seir at that time and even today is a city called Petra the impregnable city in the lower third of modern-day Jordan. There are five mountain ranges that start at Mount Hermon in the northern part of Israel. They come down the Rift Valley, which you know as the uh, Jordan Valley. The Rift Valley starts in Syria, goes all the way down to Kenya, Africa. Uh, But they come down the valley. You have Mount Hermon, and that's not just one mountain, it's a mountain range. And then you have the Golan Heights. Now, Golan is a biblical term used four times in the Bible. Bashan is the other name for the Golden Heights, and that's part of those mountain ranges. And then from the southern tip of the Sea of Galilee south, you have the mountains of Gilead, and then you go to the mountains of Moab, and finally the mountains of 
Mount Seir at the time Esau moves there, but when he arrives, they change the name of that piece of geography to Edom. So you have Mount Hermon, the Golan, you have Gilead, you have Moab, you have Edom, the five mountain ranges that come down the Rift Valley or the Jordan Valley. Esau and his family goes to live in that southernmost mountain range, Mount Seir, and they are headquartered in the city of Petra, which is uh, unbelievable. It's one of the seven wonders of the world even today. Before we leave chapter 36, let me show you one more verse. Chapter 36 and verse 12. And Timnah was concubine to Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bare to Eliphaz Amalek. And these are the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. The grandson of Esau is Amalek. Amalek is the grandson of Esau. Amalek would become the Amalekites, and the Lord told Moses to write down in a book for all to read that the Lord would have indignation against Amalek and have war with him from generation to generation. That's recorded in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 6. How this all plays out will be the rest of our study of Esau, Jacob, and the descendants of both of these brothers. Next week, we will continue our study and see why the Lord will have war with Amalek. Please join us at that time. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. We've got to take a break, and when we come back, we'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Kramer with Mission Network News. The Islamic State released an infographic this week highlighting its global activity. Africa rose to the top with the deadliest and most frequent attacks. When ISIS took over parts of Iraq and Syria, jihad led to Christian persecution. It's no different in Africa. The Voice of the Martyrs USA added three new African countries to its 2023 persecution prayer map. Ask God to protect believers in Africa who are facing Islamist terrorism. Elsewhere, aid workers supported by Christian Aid Mission share the hope of Christ with refugees in Greece. Fatima, a mother of four, became friends with the aid workers who helped her replace important documents. She told them about her painful childhood and abusive husband. Believers encouraged Fatima with God's word and showed her Christ's love through their actions. Pray Jesus would reveal himself so clearly that Fatima won't be able to deny him. Find your place in the story at missionnews.org. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. 
Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. This is the portion of the program where we take a look at the book. You know, Rick, uh, we said at the very beginning that we said it throughout the program that the chess pieces are on the chessboard. Uh, they're being moved. That uh, And if you and I were taught how to play chess by our father, when you move and you make a move in chess, it does affect all the other pieces on the board, correct? That's right, Jimmy. There's uh, consequences, uh, both intended and unintended, and we see many of those consequences that we face uh, as decisions personally in our lives, but of course we also see it at world leaders as they make decisions that have consequences for their nations, for their people, but also these world leaders are preparing the world for the end-time prophetic scenario that we talk about often on this program. Oh, yes, you're so correct. And that's really, you take uh, our theme from last week's program, we talked about conflict, and really throughout history, we've seen this struggle, and it's really a struggle between Satan and God, Satan trying to defeat God, the angels, and man, and that's been his plan from Genesis chapter 3. That's where the struggle began, and it's going to continue all the way to the very end, to where Jesus Christ sets up his earthly throne, his earthly kingdom here on this earth in the city of Jerusalem. In Matthew 24, Jesus is preparing his disciples, and I know a lot of people use this passage to talk about Bible prophecy. There he's preparing his disciples for the things to come, Rick, and he tells them that there are certain events that are the beginning of sorrows, Matthew 24, verse 8, or the beginning of birth pains. The narrative begins with the disciples pointing out the temple buildings and Jesus remarking that it would all be torn down, Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. The disciples asked Jesus when these things would take place and what would be the sign of his coming at the end of the age, Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. Jesus explains that there would be many false messiahs who would come and who would claim to be authentic. And boy, do we see that today, Rick. They, uh, they would be deceptive and appealing these false prophets, and many would be fooled by them. That there would be wars and rumors of war. Verse 6, nations would rise against nations and kingdom against kingdom. And there would even be famines and earthquakes. While all that would be alarming and even terrifying, Jesus encouraged them that those things would not signify the end. They were only the beginning of sorrows, Rick. And when we look at today's program, as we listen to our broadcast partners, we can certainly see, although we're not in the time period of Matthew chapter 24, I, be I believe that that begins with the tribulation period, but we can see that we're in the beginning of sorrows now. We certainly do, Jimmy. And if you look at it, I mean, we all wish that this world was a different place, that there was a different life that we could live, that we could uh, that we could serve uh, in our churches, and we wouldn't have to face some of these trials that we have to face. But it is encouraging to me, Jimmy. You said that uh, Jesus was preparing the disciples. Of course, preparing him is telling them what was to come. And he was telling him, you will have to face this and let me give you strength. But I think part of the strength is knowing that we have the whole story. And and this, and for the first time in history, I mean, God laid out his plan starting in Genesis and going all the way through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. But 
with uh, God's Word, the Word that we have today, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, we have the whole story, and that is an encouragement. We know what's going to happen. We know what to plan for. We uh, we know that even though sometimes we look at this world and it seems like it's a really uh, we're in a really dire situation, we do understand this is what God said is going to happen, but he also said that in the future, this is what's going to happen. This is where you're going to end up, and that is, is a wonderful place. You're certainly right that we are in in a bad time, but the encouraging thing is that we know how the end uh, of the story will play out according to Bible prophecy. And, uh, you know, I'll agree, Rick, and you would too, when we look and we listen to our guys, we pick the stories because they, they pertain to Bible prophecy and the future being fulfilled. But sometimes it can be, you know, a little somber. Oh, it certainly can. And uh, and again, we have to realize there's a human component when we talk about some of these countries, Russia, and what's taking place, the tragedies that are taking place among the people there in Ukraine and Russia, in, in Iran as well, and, in, and even in Israel and in, in the Israeli-Palestinian situation. We want to continue to pray. We want to continue to reach out and share the gospel, do what we're supposed to be doing Right now, in preparation for uh, Christ's return, uh, we'll continue to pray for these people uh, in the face of this situation and pray for the church. Pray for the church, Jimmy, as we continue to gather and prepare for Jesus' coming. Yes, and uh, it is—actually, it's an exciting time to be alive because we might see— and and be a part of the rapture of the church. You know, with the foretelling of these events, including the beginning of sorrows, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the difficulties they will face in their lifetimes. Um, still, he reminds them that the things will get even worse than what they themselves will face. It could get worse. Our children, Rick, could face the things even worse than what we are facing. We might not, uh, you know, dad woke up every day thinking that he was going to be in the rapture. I wake up every day waiting for that rapture to take place, but it could be another couple years. Because they now had the end of the story, Rick, as you have so aptly said, the disciples could walk both with hope and with urgency, knowing the importance of making the most of every opportunity. Peter later would challenge his readers to consider that. Since these things will end this way, they should be people of holy and godly lives. 2 Peter chapter 3 Verse 11, can you imagine, Rick, that Peter, after all these years, had those thoughts and what he went through? Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Rick, thank you so much for doing all the hard work in our news uh, department and and focusing on the, the questions that you did. I look forward to next week talking about this. Should the rapture not happen, I look forward to being with you again next week. Me as well, Jimmy, and I hope the rapture does happen, but if it doesn't, we will be here. Yes. Folks, with all that is happening in our world today, the rapture can't be too far away. Let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee.